How much money does it take to build one of the most influential albums of all time? Anywhere from $1,500 to $3,000, depending on who you ask. Of course, that price is in 1967 dollars. Adjusted for inflation, the album costs between 11,965 dollars to 23,923 dollars. Luckily, you don't have to foot the bill for this album because Andy Warhol already did. In 1966, The Velvet Underground was set to record their first studio album. Well, The Velvet Underground and Nico, the mononymous German singer who had worked with Warhol on several experimental films. Warhol Warhol. I can't say Warhol without thinking of the David Bowie song. Yes, it's Hull, As in Hulls. Warhol had added Nico to the band's lineup as he didn't believe the rough-and-tumble Lou Reed would be a successful frontman for the band. Even if Reed didn't sing on every track on the album, the presence of his lyrics was inescapable. Drug abuse, prostitution, sadomasochism, and other taboos were the source material for Reed's verse. These edgy lyrics, backed by the musical direction of John Cale, who was heavily influenced by avant-garde and experimental music. The combination of far-out, bizarre instrumentals and taboo lyrics sounds like a hard sell for a record company that you won't be surprised to find out that the band struggled to find a label. Atlantic Records objected to Reed's lyrics, and Elektra Records hated Cale's viola. The record would never have seen a single pressing if not for Verve, who decided to take a chance on the up-and-comers, and likely on Warhol's big name. Getting published was only the first hurdle to overcome. The album was banned from many record stores almost immediately due to its subject matter. Where the album was sold, it sold poorly, and while there were some positive reviews, critics largely overlooked the album. In later years, listeners would come around on the album, noting how daring its production was and how influential it became among contemporary musicians. The album only sold 30,000 copies initially, but as Brian Eno famously said, everyone who bought one of those 30,000 copies started a band. That's right, we're talking about the Velvet Underground and Nico on Cover Me. Sunday morning, for my man. Everybody knows. That's right, it's Cover Me, the only podcast that talks about famous albums and the tribute albums they inspire, and compares them against one another to find out which one is in furs. I'm your host as always, Jake Cressy, joined by my CD co-host... Alex Mildenberger. Alex Mildenberger, you sly dog, you. How's it going? Uh, how is it going? It's going fine. It's going fine, things are normal. We're moving into a long weekend, so gonna be enjoying that hell yeah you're yeah. having a, a turkey dinner with the fam what's what's restrictions like out there they're a little questionable um they're, they're kind of i'm not even sure if they're really restrictions in some case sometimes they're like we recommend you do this or that um but the recommendation is uh no more than 10 people on an indoor gathering but also from no more than two households Okay. So tricky math. Then. Yeah, I don't think a lot of people are going to be following that specifically, especially vaccinated people. Especially, yeah, yeah that's that's my expectation. Um, so we'll see. I think we've kind of crested our wave, but there's mm. numbers are still pretty high. So right. Well, that's COVID numbers. I didn't say COVID, but yeah, COVID. Just gonna just in case you know there's you know for for future. We've also crested the wave of our listener numbers, but, you know. Oh, yeah, fair enough. They're coming down. (laughs) They're not pretty high. They're not pretty high, I'll tell you that. Could use use an old Delta variant. It's it's real Thanksgiving. We could use a a Delta variant of of Cover Me fans. 
Fa- um, fans yeah. is maybe too strong. Listeners. Listeners, hell. <laughs> yeah, I'll take that. Alex, we got no time for bullshit. No time for the weather. I'm no time for giving thanks. Thanksgiving. None of that. We're talking about the Velvet Underground and Nico and the recently released tribute album, I'll Be Your Mirror. That's the name of the album. Yes, which Fe- we talked about the song, I'll Be Your Mirror, back in February mm-hmm. for Love or for Me. For Love or Me. Yes, we talked about it for Love or Me back in beautiful, sunny February. Back in Feb. Feb. And now we're talking about the whole damn album because we are just, we're just into it, man. We're Why good to not? Go. I mean, we technically already talked about one of the songs, so like some of our work's already done for us. Yeah, that's going to be If you were hoping one. for an in-depth analysis on I'll Be Your Mirror today, it's not going to happen. Of the song. Now the album, on the other hand. Mm-hmm. That's a different story. That's going to happen, baby. Got it. That's a different story. Alex, let's fucking let's just do this. The original album, The Velvet Underground and Nico, yeah, widely influential, used to hold the number thirteen spot on the five hundred greatest albums. I don't know what it's at now, but acknowledged as a big deal world round. One of my favorite albums. Yeah, big in rock and roll, particularly. Big in rock and roll. You a big fan, Alex? I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan. I think we're both established fans of of the Velvet Underground. Yeah, see our episode "I'll Be Your Mirror," which again yeah. is not talking about the album, yeah, rather which the song. I, I on didn't the album. like listen to double check, but we'll probably I'll probably repeat some of the things uh, that I said there. That's fine. That's oh, fine. probably. Um, yeah, I it 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 was a a group and an album that like the name kind of floats around, and me as a teenager had heard it and wanted to listen to it but it took a while you know it's kind of a a thing of legend for a while because it doesn't really get radio play not here anyway so i hadn't heard any of the songs yeah absolutely not it was yeah it's one of those names you hear a lot and the name sounds good enough for anything you know the velvet underground like oh fuck i want to i want a piece of that yeah it's kind of a cool name and then yeah, where do you find it? You actually have to take the steps. At least did in the, back in the day. Back in the day, you know. Nowadays, you just you just chuck it into Google, and it's like, well, yeah. there's the at the time it was like, oh, I I gotta pay for this on iTunes. What is it? Ten whole dollars? Yeah, and you're like, oh, oh man, I'm just a I'm just a poor teenager. Poor teenager. <laughs> I don't want to I don't want to bet it all on this banana. Like, yeah. That's a lot. That's a lot to ask of a teenager. So yeah, but the first time I it. even heard the Velvet Underground was in like, I would have been probably like 18. It was 2012 or 2011. So yeah, probably 18 or 19. Because you burned uh, a CD for me, Alex. And it had oh, shit. There She Goes Again on it. I forgot that that was that the first one. Velvet Underground song I heard. So. Huh. I totally forgot. You, bro. I don't even remember what you. else is on there. Oh, lots of good stuff. There's some Super Tramp, some Tom Petty, uh, Louisiana Rain on there. Um, oh, I forgot I used to burn CDs. Tons. Some Tragically Hip on there. Um, shit, what was oh, it? Oh, yeah, there's Tragically the, I'm Hip. I'm so hard done by... Uh, fun times. Yeah, killer stuff. That's what we used to do back in the day, folks. But now in the days, we just listen to cover music exclusively. Yeah, I don't even have any writable CDs. Now, I was... I, yeah, no, who's got rewritable CDs kicking around? 
Now, I was worried coming into this, Alex, that like there's nothing you can do with this album, right? Like it's too good to to even have a cover. And some sense. some that, of the covers are a little too reverential, I think. I think you but, may be right there. For the most part, there's there's stuff going on. Mm-hmm. I think true to the experimental nature of the original album, a lot of artists here are willing to take risks or at the very least put their own spin on it. And it works very well. I think I yeah, that's that's why I was here. I was surprised actually. Kind of I had the opposite feeling. I feel like coming into this you would have too much pressure to be too different mm. kind of thing, and then you could just like maybe fuck it up. But I was surprised that some of them didn't actually change that much. Yeah. In some cases. For better. Yeah, some some artists, because I am familiar with the, at least a handful of the artists on here. I'd say probably mm-hmm. about half. I expected more and some I expected less. And often my expectations were were flipped. I was like, oh. Like, uh, like now nah, we'll get into it when we get into it. But uh this is just a very interesting album. Definitely a worthwhile listen. So if that's if you only want to listen to the first ten minutes of this podcast, go listen to the album. It's pretty cool. Yeah, it's like that's fifty <laughs> minutes long, maybe. Like it's not it's not a huge commitment. Mm-hmm. Check it out. And you, it's a good you, time. you get a pretty good collection of like greats and and some current artists. So you get a, a good good handful of different people you'll probably know at least one of the artists on this album so that's always pretty cool as well mm-hmm. this course this isn't even the first like velvet underground tribute album there's been ones previously that i know beck was on one and i think so i mean i think maybe sonic youth was because we get one of the people from sonic yeah, youth here we get a little little sonic youth a little bit of sonic youth action widely covered the velvet underground just in general uh, but we're only going over this one album today, and we're going to just go through it track by track, kind of like we usually do, but a little bit abbreviated. And we're going to start with the first track on the album, the last track actually made for the album, uh, Sunday Morning, written by Sunday Lou Reed morning. and John Cale. Sunday morning brings the dawn in. It's just a restless feeling my side early dawning Sunday morning it's just the wasted yeah Sunday morning it's a very pleasant song uh Mm -hmm. looking it up apparently well there were different accounts Mm -hmm. one was from John Cale he said the song is actually about staying up all night on like amphetamines and and then the sun coming up and like the feeling of, of that of not having slept but now it's a new day kind of thing right um versus another account i heard where it was lou reed apparently possibly in a book but possibly it was just i don't remember what the source was on this one um just like about the feeling of waking up after doing a bunch of heroin and like being like in a bit of withdrawal because it's kind of the morning after. Right. Yeah. And there's a bit of uh one of the things I saw about it was uh, that it's was the theme of the song was suggested by Andy Warhol, apparently Warhol. He said, why don't you just make it a song about paranoia? And Lou Reed says, I thought that was great. So I came up with watch out the world's behind you. There's always someone watching you, which eventually turned out there's always someone around who will call. Um, so there's a bit of that paranoid edge in there. So I, I guess it is like the like 
basically to draw from all of those sources the song is about the morning after uh, a sort of binge of some kind and but like m- listening to it i never got any of that honestly no i was always been very soothed by this yeah, song and it, that i mean just be the music yes yeah, sonically it's very nice it's kind of like some nice chimes and it sets up this nice arpeggio um and then like watch out the worlds behind you never sounded paranoid to me um and there's always someone around you who will call see it sounds very hopeful Mm-hmm. right like someone around you like there's gonna be someone who like you're not alone kind of thing yeah exactly it's read as a very meditative song to me yeah i thought of a sunday morning as like and sometimes you know you are hung over on a sunday morning if you live that lifestyle but it's usually a day where like not much is going on it's you know classically the day of rest yeah you can stay in bed for a bit even if you aren't feeling a hundred percent like you don't need to be anywhere and mm-hmm. watch the sunrise or whatever, right? So especially he's talking about dawning. At the, you know, he said early dawning Sunday yeah, morning. Yeah, early dawning Sunday morning. Like, to me, that's talking about the sunrise. So, like, you're watching the sunrise kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and, of course, there's lines, watch out the world's behind you. It's just the wasted years so close behind. Yeah. That makes me think that you're reflecting on not maybe not even just the weekend, but, like, your life in general. You're just like, well shit like I, uh, i've done all this yeah and this i kind of also like, thought like that's what's behind you like it's a wasted years to go close behind but like and the world's behind you like it's behind you now mm-hmm. like it's it's nothing at all it doesn't matter kind of thing so yeah that's uh, the, my the, interpretation of this song has always been like don't worry too much about things that seem like they're a huge problem because people will support you <laughs> like it sounds so supportive to me yeah it sounds it sounds like it's just kind of like yeah sure that you know there's wasted years maybe the world is behind you but Hey, you still got somebody who call once in a while. It's not a problem. Like, yeah. keep on living. Yeah, and like the way the song describes things, it's still like things are still happening. You're not standing still. Your life is advancing and changing. And like talking, I mean, particularly I'm thinking in verse two. Uh, it's all the streets you crossed not so long ago. Like he's still, he's yeah, not you're like still completely motion, overcome right? by his problems. Like he's still progressing. Yeah, kind of it's, and it's yeah. not so long ago. Like, he did all this stuff, yeah, just a little while ago. Yeah. So, it's very odd learning more about this song and, like, kind of what it's supposed to be about or the feeling, because it's not what I've ever felt listening to this song. Yeah, not at all. But, hey, there you go. Nonetheless, the one thing you can pull from this is that it's about a Sunday morning. Yeah. that is that is undeniable undeniable i do like the lyrics and i i actually really do like that there is uh, some mystery behind them because they're they're not exactly clear yeah and i think there's gonna be more of that (laughs) on on lack of clarity oh yeah it'll 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 come up more it's i just i think this was the one uh, that that shocked and betrayed me the most what seems so different (laughs) yeah it's about uh being horribly addicted to to heroin what yeah and suffering some side effects such as paranoia (laughs) and insomnia i suppose um that said let's talk a little bit about some music behind this obviously the celesta is the big part of this the bell piano yeah uh just beautiful beautiful and just that little like chimey riff or like melody i guess like it's compared to a lot of the other stuff on the album it's very pleasant sounding 
Yeah, and because it was the last song made for it, like the the album was delayed, and they just were like, "Well, we should knock one more out." Um, the producer, I think it was Tom Wilson, said like it needs another song. We need lead vocals by Nico on this, which didn't happen. It's Lou Reed singing the vocals on this, but I guess they had a little extra time to produce this one. I noticed it sounds like in terms of production quality more similar to some of their later albums, whereas a lot of this stuff is quite lo-fi. This has less of that. Yeah, I, d- I didn't notice that, but I'm mm-hmm. less familiar with like the white light, white heat immediately okay. after um, this album kind of stuff. Uh, kind of my my knowledge drops off until like loaded. So. Yeah, fair enough. Um, I think it does actually bear some similarity to some loaded stuff, which does have a lot of softer stuff. In the That's mix. true. White light, white That's heat. While having a higher production value does lean more towards the the rock side of things. Um, other things of note on this, on a hilarious, like, recurring theme in the album is Sterling Morrison being put on bass guitar despite apparently <laughs> hating playing bass. Yes, I did read that. Um, is, do they not, I guess they, is they're not a normal bass player? It doesn't look like it, because they got Maureen Tucker who plays drums, uh, you got mm. Sterling Morrison who's typically the guitarist, you got John Cale is sort of like, I guess kind of your everyman like yeah, your, he does a lot your, of stuff but it's like violins and violas and yeah like typically classical tin stuff like plates and st- like <laughs> when he's yeah when he's it, feeling it's sassy. either experimental or like heavily traditional yeah. and then you got lou reed who usually ends up playing guitar as well so i think sterling morrison probably came on as a guitarist and then just kept getting shafted because lou reed would be like yeah i'll play the like, guitar i fucking hate the bass man <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> Very funny though, and a yeah. beautiful bass line on this. The whole it's a very soothing production. Yeah, yeah, and they kind of well, it's kind of got like a slide, right? Yeah. And, uh, dum, dum, to to dum, jump dum, ahead dum, of it, maybe dum, dum, dum. Uh, the yeah. cover version kind of adapts that, but doesn't play it exactly the same. They really no. land on that slide, which actually makes it sound like it might be, in addition to a cover of Sunday Morning, a reference to Walk on the Wild Side. 100 percent that's um, what it sounds like yeah so so the cover is so done by michael there. stipe let's yeah. just get into it yeah Alex. let's go people know what sunday morning sounds like yeah uh michael stipe of rem fame yeah i kept having to look him up like do i know th- i know that name oh yeah rem all right yeah I'm forgetting <laughs> um so that's and you get some of that obviously his vocal style is pretty apparent if you're an rem fan i think the uh some of the just the style of this cover is a little REM, more like cinematic almost. We get what is that opening instrument, Alex? Well, it's like woodwind of some kind. It's like a uh maybe not a clarinet, but like a something like that. Yeah, I think like yeah. it's reedy. I don't know exactly. I know I like I was looking up some of the later songs, uh, and I kept saying violin, and then I looked up the song to be like John Cale on the viola. I'm like ah, damn it. <laughs> so close but like I, I don't really know the difference in sound that well yeah but it is something woodwindy and yeah I, something that could produce I suppose a lower frequency without necessarily being bass yeah it does sound more in the middle um, mm-hmm. and I mean that the feeling of this cover really does um, evoke the feeling of the original it yeah. is very pleasant sounding even though they do a little bit more have more stuff going on more of kind of a soundscape Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and I think this is one that definitely holds a reverence for the original, but I don't think it's misplaced. It's, uh, I mean, we're doing like a, a celebrate Velvet Underground album. You open with this big c- cinematic woodwind, and yeah, kind of let it us sit in that for a bit. It doesn't sound the same for sure. Yeah, um, it and it plays like a smart opening. None of them really change them up structurally. Really. Yeah, and part Much. of the trick is, and listening to the album this week, a lot of these songs are very simple at their core. And we've talked about simple songs before and how they're in some ways the toughest to move around because there's so many iconic, like all the pieces that are there are iconic. So right. how do you remove them? So you either change it to something that's needs to be iconic or it's disappointing or like mm-hmm. don't have anything and there's just nothing there. Yeah. Um, and of course, the sort of, I would say, modern tendencies to go big, which a lot of these versions do, or go bigger, yeah. which it's hard not to go bigger if you add anything, right? Well, yeah, exactly. Especially when the original is like a lo-fi album. Like, as, yeah. as soon as you add yeah. production value in, it's like oh, you're blowing <laughs> it out of the water. Yeah, spend more than, what was it, 20 thousand dollars something like that yeah it's been more than $20,000 like for for an album recording I don't think is very much no especially not not. in that time when you couldn't have like home digital recording equipment kind of stuff yeah well yeah and for Andy Warhol I imagine I assume he was rich right (laughs) he He wasn't just like some some beggar baron yeah um I'm pretty sure he had some money or at least a lot of debt like I don't know could have been both. Yeah, too. he was moving money around at the yeah. very least. Yeah, I actually, I actually have no idea. But, um, he was selling, right? He sold like reproductions of. Right. Yeah, stuff, I, I think? think he had a mind for, yeah. for business. Um. But, um, but that's back to the version here nor there. Like back you mentioned, the we get the uh, the baseline that sounds like take a walk, uh, like walk on the wild side. Yeah, because they, they, they stay with that sliding around, and they slide kind of, the other one slides down, but now we slide back up, like Walk on the Wild Side. Yeah, and it sounds like it might be doubled, similar to the bass line in Walk on the Wild Side as well. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, maybe, or it might just be like a stand-up bass or something. It's, but it has a, a quality that makes it sound, you know, not just like another bass. Right, yeah, and... A lot of this has kind of like interesting production, I think. Like the vocals are really close and they sound really turned up. Mm-hmm. Um what I wanted to bring up next was uh I mean obviously the the bell piano pattern is there, but on this sort of like echoey kind of chirpy synth, this Yeah. But it also like doesn't like comes in later. Yeah, we get a lot of this, like, once the vocals come in, it's just the bass, uh, Michael Stipe's vocals, and then a sort of quieter woodwind in the back. Yeah, at the start. And I think that woodwind is actually playing the, the in, like, the same melody, but just very right, slowly. Just... Yeah, 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 yeah. I think you're right. Um, or it's very close, anyway. Uh, and then, yeah, there's, like, a couple synthesizers and stuff, like, there's a fast synthesizer, and then we get some backup vocals later on. They really start to layer it. Mm-hmm. and create these harmonies yeah this song stays like low energy or kind of dreamy the whole time but yeah they do like expand on the vibe and yeah bring in those dreamy vocals on the backups yeah which i mean there's several 
several of the versions we're going to talk about do that kind of stuff where really yeah. they try to keep it like not too many different elements necessarily but rather the or rather the elements are kind of all doing the same thing so it feels a little less uh cacophonous maybe but there's still a lot of uh bigness yeah yeah, a lot of the the original yeah. album is, and it almost goes on a sliding scale. Like as you start the album and get to the end, the the increasing of like dissonance and discord in the original album like increases exponentially almost yeah. as you approach your. And I never sound. really noticed that, but definitely listening to the covers, that's a little more apparent. Apparent, in, yeah, yeah, in a lot of ways. Uh, but this one stays very mellow, and yeah, that's kind of how it goes. There's a little solo, but really. Yeah, it stays mellow. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Like, um, it actually, out. one of the other things I notice um, that they do in the cover version is like some of the parts will sort of come in early or leave late. So there's kind of like a lazy feeling to that. So like they come in half a bar early before the chorus right. starts or whatever. With yeah, uh, there's a bit of like bleed between yeah. sections almost. Yeah, which I mean, it's an effect we see in a lot of stuff, but it's I think fairly effective here for that sort of yeah. lazy Sunday morning feeling yeah it definitely plays into that vibe um you even get a bit of that at the end where like the ending is really sort of this just decay of of a synth part it's just like well yeah because they're filling out a lot of space at that point with the synth mm-hmm. sounds and then yeah it just kind of like filters it out and then fades on, on, on the yeah. baseline too mm-hmm. really built it around that baseline it's uh yeah worth noting that they add about another minute of playtime on this over the original and it doesn't oh, yeah. feel drawn no. out to me like it no it, it doesn't and whether that's a testament to the original song or to this cover version i can't say for sure but hey it's pretty good mm-hmm. yeah moving on to i'm waiting for the man <laughs> Yes. Um this is a song also, you may have noticed. <laughs> a song about uh buying buying heroin. Yeah. This one very straightforward. Like no no room for like other interpretations on this. It's about going to buy heroin in yeah. uh I think Brooklyn, right? Yeah, I don't know. Lexington. Where's Lexington? Like Lexington. Well, there's all I I or is it Harlem? Let me see cuz there's uh you know, there's obviously there's the line of of hey white boy, what are you doing downtown? So he's in the in the wrong neighborhood. So to speak. But he's just there to buy drugs. So Harlem like, is okay, it's a right. part of it's a part of Upper Manhattan. Okay, okay. There's five boroughs and none of them are Harlem. That's what I. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. You're right. And so a genius annotation. One of the only times it's been useful it says he's going to the last stop on the Lexington Avenue subway in Harlem. Harlem. All right. But uh, we don't need to spend a lot of time on this. He describes the drug dealer yeah. who wears PR shoes, which are. Uh, it's essentially a, a brand. Oh, right, the Puerto Rican 
Puerto Rican shoes. Fence climbers, yeah. Uh, Puerto so they're, Rican they're fence pointy, climbers. They're pointy dress shoes, basically. They're really with a pointy Yeah, they kind of curve tip. up at the end, almost like Wario's shoes. <laughs> they're like elf <laughs> shoes. No, I don't know. Yeah. Apparently great for climbing chain link fences, though. Because you can get the toe why he's wearing them. in the fence. Yeah, you can kind of hook it in there, I guess. Uh, yeah, well, I had some stubby shoes that weren't good for climbing fences when I was younger, so. Oh, Could have worn these shoes and apparently a big straw hat. Yeah. I suppose um, this, this song's best summed up lyrically by a, a quote from Lou Reed who said, quote, everything about that song holds true except the price, which is, of course, the $26 <laughs> right, he has $26. in his hand. I have always wondered about that, although $26 in 1967 was probably a lot more. Oh, yeah. Let's see. If $1,500 comes out to just under 12000 um that's i mean we're we're like lazily that's around 10 times so 26 dollars is a, like less than 260 it's like about 200 bucks. bucks yeah yeah um i think i don't know if that's american i think that's american yeah yeah all right yeah i guess i should have specified that in the intro because we are canadian content Ah. Oh yeah, we gotta be Canadian content. Uh, yeah, we gotta be that CanCon. So um, yeah, one thing I want to point out in these lyrics, because he will use the same phrase in a later song. Um, in verse five, he says, "Baby, don't you holler, darling? Don't you bawl and shout?" And I think it is—it's either Femme Fatale or uh, "There She Goes," where somebody's bawling and shouting again, which may be meaningless. It might just be one of his little like catchphrases. He uses a lot. Yeah, in his vernacular, but I just thought it was kind of kind of neat. Some people think it might be a reference to Twist and Shout. It could be. Ball and Shout. Ball and Ball Shout. Ball and Shout. But yes, it's uh, it's five verses that all tell part of the story. He's going, he's going um, uptown, they said. Yeah, uptown. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he's going to buy heroin. And he gets a, kind of accosted, but then he sees the guy. He gets there. He's been waiting for him. And then he leaves. Yeah. And then he does some heroin. Yeah, and then he says, I'm feeling good until tomorrow. But that's just some other time. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Then he walks it home. Yeah. Is that a reference to him? Or is that a... Like a... a, a, Is he talking to the band at that point? Oh, that's like like an ad lib. Yeah, walk it home. Because then then it changes, right? Yeah. Yeah, so that's, I guess, musically, that's the other thing about the song, is they kind of have that that coda, which, uh, I mean, we talked about it in um, Ticket to Ride, similar situation. Where right, The end yeah. of the song is quite a bit different. Yeah, and I think this is where uh, Sterling Morrison mentions that, like, the Velvet Underground's sense of tempo was just, like, crazy good. Like, it was phenomenal. So he's like, we were at this one tempo, and then boom, immediately we're perfectly in this for the, the next section. I think he talks about it on this one, and I believe on There She Goes, where they, they got that ba 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 baby section. ba 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 baby oh yeah. And, and he's like, yeah, we, we can whip back and forth between these tempos. Like, uh, no, oh yeah, he says here, metronomically, we are a pretty accurate band. If we were speeding up or slowing down, it was by design. If you listen to the solo break on There She Goes Again, it slows down, slower and slower and slower, and then when it comes back into the bye-bye-bye, it doubles the original tempo. A tremendous leap to twice the speed. 
so yeah worth noting amongst all of this dissonance and chaos is that they're just like phenomenally sharp musicians hang on is that the song i was thinking of is that the actual song with dakota and this one doesn't have one um maybe you might be right i'm waiting for the man Oh, it's all right. This one's mostly just that driving rhythm, right? Let's yeah. talk about the instruments on it, because yeah, it's let's... very simple. Because that's, yeah, there's like a guitar riff, basically, and, yeah. and like drums. And like that drives yeah. the whole thing. And the piano, too, right? And oh, just yes, hammering. And I believe yeah. this one's a reference to Hitchhike by, uh, oh, I don't know that. I want to say Otis Redding? So it sounds like written this down. an Otis Redding song, eh? Yeah, Hitchhike by Marvin Gaye, actually, Marvin Gaye. my bad. Okay. Yeah, I don't know that song. Oh, no, I'm lying. Sorry, that's also There She Goes Again. I, for some reason, have these two confused in my mind. <laughs> yeah, apparently I do, too. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. But, yes. But, yeah, no, this one's just and like a rock and roll staple. A lot of people have covered this, and it, I think some of it's just that simplicity. Uh, it's, it's just energy. Yeah, and then you can kind of add instrument. stuff to that. Like, there's an instrumental break. You can kind of solo and stuff in there. And the song is pretty simple. Although, that said, I, I'm trying to figure, like, there's five verses, right? And they kind yeah. of have, like, what, talking about... Shakespeare plays, which I haven't done oh, since, five act play. since high school. But they kind of have that kind of structure because he's like waiting and then there's the, like you see him people and it's kind of raising tension. They're kind of accosting him. And then the guy gets there and then he gets his heroin and then he just kind of like goes home and then goes home. So it's like, yeah, you're right. Because typically in a five act play structure, the climax is yeah, actually like, like much closer act. to the middle. Yeah. And that is in, in, in a play titled Waiting for My Man, or Waiting for The Man. That's where the man would show up, right? The, that's where the man shows yeah, up. So, like, it follows that structure. Yeah, and it's worth noting that Lou Reed was a, a university student, like an English literature student. Yeah, yeah. Which will, of course, come up later, so it's, that's not far out of reach there to say that he's just made a five-act play here. Yeah, out of stanzas. Not out of pocket, of, yeah. Yeah, instead of acts. But, yeah. That's that's what it seems to be to me. Uh, now look at like I didn't get that just listening to the song, but looking at the lyrics, I'm like, oh, it's broken up into five parts. Uh. Yeah. But yeah, this can basically be described as like a running rhythm with a bit of guitar noodling, and Lou Reed's narration kind of talk singing vocals. Yeah. Yeah, really, and yeah, sometimes the guitar kind of breaks out, but it doesn't even go that great. Like. Note what it's playing isn't that crazy. It just goes really hard. Yeah. We're still in like the traditional realm of rock and roll. It's mm -hmm. just got a little edge here. We haven't quite entered John Cale's world of weirdness. <laughs> uh, just like open, you know, um, free sounds. And yeah, stuff. just like just free play zone where everybody's like, okay, just play some notes. We'll, we'll get it together in the mix. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. The cover, mm -hmm. this time, is this actually time. someone we talked about recently. That's right. Um, kind of. Kind of. A little it's bit. It's a very small role. Yeah. Uh, Matt Ber Berninger. I'm going to pronounce it yeah. Berninger. Could be Berninger. Um, but my last name ends in Ger, so I'm going to do the same. Hell yeah. Uh, so he's, yeah, an artist. He's in other stuff. He's in a group called yeah. The National. 
kind of works mm-hmm. with some other like indie type groups. Uh, and he was in uh, one of the versions of Just a Friend we talked about. Yeah, the uh, the sort of big one, which had Sharon Jones and... Yeah, Booker the, T. The, Jones. The actual... F- yes, that's right. And also Sharon Jones. Yeah. That's and Biz right. Marquis was on it, too. And Biz Marquis. And then Matt Berninger, Berninger doing something. He was singing. He's, uh, he might have oh, played some guitar yeah. as well. I that's right, know. that's right, that's right. But he was one of the voices. Because mm-hmm. they kind of all harmonized on that. Um, that's right. Yeah. Now, so this one yeah. is, uh, I mean, I don't know how they chose which ones to cover, but this is a tough one to throw any kind of spin on, right? Because it's, it's so straightforward, and it's like, you just play the rhythm, you play the guitar part, and you just go. Yeah, uh, this one takes a little bit longer. It's actually shorter. This one, uh, it takes a little longer to get into the uh, the song, though. Like, there's some harmonics and stuff at the start. Yeah, but then it really it gets into it, you know. But it's it's actually s- kind of simplified it a bit. Like, it's more rhythm focused in terms of the production, and then there's a guitar, yeah. but it's mostly just chords. And then that even drops out. Yeah, and it's a gentler driving rhythm. We're not hammering things quite so much. Yes. There's a there's a bit of muting on whatever percussive instrument he's using there. It's a yeah. It's it comes out as a a softer version, weirdly enough. Yeah. Um. It also throughout, particularly noticeable at the start. There's some kind of more distorted parts that come in. Uh, notably at the start of the second verse, which is kind of his, you know, your tension build right. starts to get accosted, right? By the, by the people living in the place he's at. Um, I don't, I, so that seems to be kind of related. The sort of more like discord. Yeah. Cause like internally, and maybe he, he's playing the role or trying to convey the role of a man who's already high on heroin and getting some more. But he's he's pretty zenned out. Whereas there's a bit of roughness in Lou Reed's vocals on the original. This one's oh, yeah. This boy. one has a bit more of a disconnect between the sort of narrator and the character. Mm-hmm. Versus yeah, uh, the the original feels much more immediate. Yeah. And it kind of yeah, it like goes like that with some of that growly sound and and sort of builds more because like a distorted electric guitar comes in in that second verse. So yeah. you get a little bit more of that that sound. Um, there's some, and then what? Now, I guess I'm not jumping ahead that much, but like once you get into the instrumental break, mm-hmm. there's some it's kind of odd stuff. There's like this really low bassy kind of bouncy sound you get at that point. Yeah, I'm listening for it. This is, yeah. and like, I'm, I don't... It's kind of like a bam. <laughs> I call it yeah, bassy, it like... but... Yeah, it's just more it like lower. synthesizer kind of sounds. So that, that's when it sort of builds, but it kind of keeps it rhythmic, you know? Yeah. It's, it's only playing, like, bam. Like, every once in a while. Now, my understanding of the National, and I might be wrong in this, Alex, but they're in that sort of, like, clap hey genre, right? They're a bit of that, like, folky pop kind of vibe. Folky pop with the... Lots of clapping. 
Yeah, let me. I'm trying to take a look now at some of okay. their stuff. Yeah, a bit less on the clappy folky side, more on just the sort of like, like acoustic kind of vibes. Man, even acoustic would be inaccurate. Kind of soft pop, basically soft rock. Okay. Okay, so that, that doesn't play into my theory. I thought maybe he was trying to bring that sort of like folk element to a to a harsher context. So this is why some of the some of the percussive elements sound a little more like organic sounding, like a it's like right. it's not your traditional drum kit kind of stuff going on. But it turns out I was wrong, Alex. So uh, disregard that. But yeah, he, he's doing something here. I think maybe my other theory would be that he's trying to play into to his idea of like the the John Cale like viola aesthetic. Or right, with that, some like, of that chaos. Mm-hmm. Kind of free chaos. Yeah, and I mean that a lot of them do that where they'll build and kind of add this sort of cacophonous uh wall of sound and build that as they go. And this one does that. Yeah. It doesn't get crazy it though. It stays pretty understated compared to some of the other ones. But we yeah. talked about how this this album like really builds in intensity in a lot of ways. And mm-hmm. and this one is kind of a more laid back version of what is actually a fairly intense song for the first part of this album. Yeah, because it's just like high energy constant. Yeah. But yeah, if we were viewing especially the cover album as just like a a descent or ascent, whichever we want to do it into chaos, like this is just following the intensely mellow Sunday morning by Michael Stipe. So mm-hmm. like we're we're just moving a little bit. We're just moving a little bit up in that there is a little more forward motion, but all the instruments are still fairly soft. There's a little bit of distortion in the mix, but it's mixed pretty far back. And we got some gentle vocals. Yeah. There's still a piano banging out a bit though. Yeah, but it's a mostly bit. in the background. And they're kind of just part it's all part of that like sound wall. Yeah, and like anything that is hitting loudly, like even the drums towards the end get a little louder, but they're they're thrown back into the mix so they don't quite make that impact. Yeah, and like all that said, it still like breaks down kind of twice. Mm-hmm. Because <laughs> the start of verse four is a breakdown. Still some growly guitars, but a lot of stuff cuts out. Um, and like the, the bass is really low and it's still in there. But then the next verse breaks down even more. Yeah. At least at the start. And then it picks up for the second half. But it kind of like, it stays low. Er. Yeah, it's definitely just like much more yeah. restrained overall. Yeah, while still having that kind of wall of sound cacophony thing going on. Mm-hmm. Which is, um, happens in a lot of the songs. Yeah, I think he, you know what, I think he did the best he could with this. I'm not sure if it lands 100%, but, I mean, it ends up sounding different from the original, so, hey. Yeah, I thought it was a, sol- a solid one. Yeah, it's definitely got a distinct vibe to it, and that's yeah. no shame in that. We're going to talk about Femme Fatale now. She built you up to just put you down What a clown Everybody knows the thing she does to me. Which is in the key of C major. Oh, <laughs> it wow. was uh, written about Edie Sedgwick at the request of Andy Warhol. Andy Warhol. Warhol. 
Um, interesting to me, when we first talked about uh, I'll Be Your Mirror back in February, it mentioned a lot how Andy Warhol was like not part of uh, was more of like a film producer than a, a music producer because he just kind of fronted money and like let people go wild. Right. So going through it track by track this week, it was interesting to see how many times Warhol comes up being like, oh, you should write about this. Oh, you, you should just, do like, this. popped in for a day and was like, hey, maybe do this. And they're like, all right. I'm like, okay. Yeah, and then just did that. So he did have an influence ultimately on what came onto this album, just not in the production floor, just in, in like the songwriting process, weirdly enough. So that's the the starting point for this one. We get a pretty classic tale of a femme fatale, really. It's yeah. This is also the first uh, Nico song we're gonna be talking right. about today. She sings this one, um, and yeah, it's like describing this situation that this this femme fatale is in. You know, you better watch your step. She's gonna break your heart in two. Um, her eye color is false. Like everything about her is kind of fake. Because she's like mm-hmm. covering it up, but you believe it because you're a fool. Everyone knows. Yeah, you know she does it just to convince people. Like it's it's kind of it's all a facade. Yeah, it's like uh, you're 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 in her book, but like you know you're you're just another person in her. You're another person. You're number thirty seven. Yeah. Have a look. There's great lines in this. Um, it just, she'll build you up just to put you down. What a clown. Yeah, this smile is, to make uh, you frown, like yeah, just a lot of like kind of head games of like she'll make you feel, she'll she'll break your heart basically. Yeah, exactly, and it's it's you know it's written as as a, like an aside to a person like pulling somebody aside and like hey listen man, like here she comes, be safe because you're you're in over your head. Yeah. And then what I love about that, and I'm going to kind of move into the, the musical structure of the song, because I think we've kind of covered the lyrics in one big stride here anyway. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but the delivery of the verses versus the chorus, the verses are very soft. It's Nico in her soft voice. And then she, when it comes to the chorus, she kind of bellows on us, because everybody knows, and you get the backup vocals, and it's like, Jesus, this is I'm the actual sad. scenario. Like she's a femme vitale it's obvious she's like shouting at you whereas she's very gentle at the start she's like hey listen you better watch your step it's gonna break your heart in two it's true i know i know look in her false colored eyes here's what's gonna happen so i like that uh that use of the the loud quiet dynamic i think it's very very skilled very clever yeah and it's on some of these in the original like the loud the dynamics are a lot more noticeable because the quiets are very quiet and the louds are very loud that's right. Compared to kind of the more even, compressed, um, I'd say modern production overall. Yeah, I'd say you're right. There is a there's a bigger leap between quiet and loud. And I, for one, am here for it, as the kids say. The kids, kids, that a uh, phrase that's uh, popular. No, like, I'm here for it. I'm here for you're that. You're doing this, and I'm here for oh, it. Oh, they I'll do say, say that. I have I have uh, seen that. You've heard that, yeah. You've seen that one yeah. around. Um, also worth noting while we're on the production, there is some instrument on this that is like just distorted. I think by sheer audio quality, and that's like not a sound you're going to hear much in modern times. Which are you referring to? There's like the is it like the hiss hissy sound? Yeah, it might be the piano that's in there. If that's a piano in there, sort of low. It's just got like a... 
I guess, yeah, you're like even the vocals, like on the mm-hmm. chorus, it kind of sounds like the tape she's like recording on tape, and like the like there's an earthquake happening, so the yeah. tape is shaking a bunch. Like, sounds like someone's shaking the tape because it's kind of warbly in that way. Yeah, maybe that's what I'm looking at is that, that there is a warble to it that is not, I mean, often mirrored. No, yeah, and and I think I actually think I might have brought this up last week, but like I I have a, a tape effect. It's it's just right, a digital yeah. a, like a a plugin uh that I was messing around with not too long ago. And there's like a right, yeah, cuz I said a, a motor quality and a head quality. Uh Right. <laughs> um and I thought you were going to make a joke about head quality, but you made a motorhead joke. Um so that was unexpected. Keep your toes. <laughs> but um <laughs> Yeah, if you turn, like, the motor quality down and, like, it shakes more if the motors are shitty. So they might have just been recording on a really shitty recorder. Really, like, it was turning the tape and kind of shaking, shuddering. But, yeah, yeah it has that sound. It does Almost have like sound. distortion, but she's not, like, overloading the amplifier, right? Mm-hmm. It's not that loud, or I don't think it is. No. I mean, the only moment really that comes close it. to an overload is at, like, the start of the first chorus. You can really hear, I mean, like, her voice pushing up against the tape, basically. But, yeah, you definitely hear that, like, the limits of the of the technology. Yeah. And, and it I might just it be because the technology is in shitty quality. And she, like, could, disrepair. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, I mean, this whole, I, I like the whole thing, so, like, I, th- I think yeah, it sounds good, did, too. But... Hard to not like it. And I guess I'm focusing on this because otherwise... Very simple song. Some beautiful little acoustic rhythm, a pretty standard rock beat, um, and then backup vocals in the chorus. Yeah, a lot of backup vocals. But yeah, again, another like pleasant one. Mm -hmm. It's also kind of funny to hear this because, I mean, Nico's sound is like a bit monotone or a bit, um, what's the word? Almost like stereotypically German, right? Where it's it's not like these. She's not really, really emoting strongly. Not in the way you'd expect from like a performance kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, what is it? Deadpan. Yes, is the word I'm looking for. Um, and then, but the way it's presented is almost like kind of this old school pop recording like European kind of thing where you'd get like the big band and stuff and everyone would be like professional opera singers or whatever. And like, you'd have a choir in the background, but the sounds are Nico with her deadpan voice and the velvet underground with their (laughs) harmonies, not super tight harmonies. And they're also a little deadpan harmony, but it's not. Yeah. Like professionally. So it's like, it's like this weird fusion of like this, older style of pop music like jazz influenced pop music yeah and, yeah and kind of that like punk like yeah like punk rock philosophy but it's not trying to like oh neither one is trying to overshadow the other really uh, or at least the punk is not trying to destroy the other thing it's just like maybe not as organized as yeah like a, pro- a group of professionally trained opera singers kind of thing Doing yeah. like a nice background. They're just like doing their fun fatale. Yeah, it's like some kind of guitar or whatever. Some heroin opera house or something. Heroin like... opera house, yeah. Black tar opera house. <laughs> there it is. But yeah, you're right. It is a very 
just odd vibe and the fact that it works at all is is beyond belief because i remember even listening to this like the first time around nico's voice i found pretty pretty fucking funny especially when she says what a clown yeah well especially because like you come into this and people are like this is like the primal like primordial Rock, modern rock and roll album. Yeah, like this is rock and roll. And then you get in, you're like, "Hey, Sunday morning, yeah, all right, okay." Like it's a little slow, and then you know, I'm waiting for the man. You're like, "Oh yeah, all right, that's a little more." You know, they're they're banging away and stuff, and then like femme fatale, you're like, "Okay, what is going on? Now? <laughs> like, what, <laughs> what is, is happening?" This? Uh, uh, definitely confusing, but not unwelcome. No, certainly not. Um, anything else to say about the musical composition on this, or should we just rip into to Sharon Van Etten? Yeah, let's talk about the Sharon Van Etten version. Who, of course, we've talked about her before on the podcast. I can't remember what for. Yeah, yeah, I thought it sounded familiar, but I don't remember either. I know that she uh, recently, in 2020, after the passing of Adam Schlesinger, she, maybe Schlesinger, Oh. Shout out shout out to Gers out there. Uh, but she did the vocals and bass for Fountains of Wayne in, in a few tribute concerts that went on afterwards. Yeah, but I think... I almost remember... I almost I wonder if you told face. that story. Yeah, I can't remember, though, unfortunately. But I can't remember what song she did. Um, but what is going on in this cover version is it is very it's quite a bit longer Mm -hmm. for one uh and it's basically just very slow she just slowed the whole thing way down that's Um, right yeah it's slowed incredibly down like (laughs) and a lot of it is like these really slow drums very echoey drums and like held piano chords Mm -hmm. and then there's a lot of like noise sounds in the background that sort of happen throughout. Particularly, there's this like ambient sort of tape noise. Yeah, that kind of like plays with the drums. There'll be the drum hit and then this like. Yeah. Is that the one you're talking about? Well, yeah. That's there. I'm agreeing with you, and it does have that kind of set. But like, so I have this this pedal, this effects pedal. Um, and it's called uh, El Capistan, which is a mm-hmm. pretty well-known uh, digital tape echo pedal. Um, right. And it has a mode called Sound on Sound. And basically what it is is you like virtually record a 10 or 20 second loop. And then you can kind of cut it and like do some kind of splicey stuff. But basically it just repeats what you played. But it degrades the sound on every repeat. Okay. Uh, so you can like crank up the repeats so it repeats and keeps going pretty much forever. But every single time it sort of fades more and more and more like the tape has just been played a lot, right? So it's right. kind of that sort of uh, an effect. It sounds like something that has been recorded on tape, but the tape just degraded a lot. And now they're playing it back. But it, the original sound is almost unrecognizable because okay. it's been degraded so much. That's right. what it sounds like. Okay, yeah, I can hear that. And you're saying that's applied to essentially the whole instrumental track, or is there a specific part that stands out? There's sounds... I'm trying to find it, because I didn't give myself a timestamp, unfortunately. Okay. But it's um, just kind of like ambient sounds. Okay, yeah, yeah, In yeah, the yeah. background. 
it kind of sounds like yeah it's it's been it's just degraded tape right yeah so it's not i gotcha so it's there's like bits that that in the ambiance that make it sound like a degraded tape i can hear it yeah and yes good note just for the sake of our minds i just want to say do you realize was when we talked about sharon bennett she did a cover of uh, Do You Realize by the Flaming Lips. Yep, that checks out. Mm-hmm. Now, this one is a lot longer. You mentioned that. Um, did she it, slowed I mean, it way down. Do you, do you feel that this one dragged at all? Were you didn't like, come on, let's wrap me. it up? Didn't bother me. No, it didn't me. bother me either. So no. that's kind of the one thing I've found with this cover album as a whole is there's a few that are stretched out. But again, maybe I'm just a, a Velvet Underground super fan, or maybe these are <laughs> pretty good covers or whatever, but... Like, it's, none of the, the extensions on these ones bothered me. One, I thought, didn't need to be longer. We'll get to Set. it. Yeah, we'll get to it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's just, it's very slow. But it, it, and it's kind of, it keeps with the sort of aesthetic of, like, relatively simple in the foreground, but a lot of just, like, stuff making noise in the background. Yeah. Which has already happened, but now it's just very slow stuff happening. Um, she's also got, you know, she's channeling Nico. She's doing that um, deadpan style voice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she keeps it up throughout. And then there's some harmonies. Yeah, we do get harmonies. It's worth noting uh, Angel Olsen is on this as well. Oh, that I sounds think we familiar. might have also talked about. I forgot to bring her up because I'm a bad person. She's well, an she's American singer-songwriter. Also musician not, from St. Louis. She's not in the credits. She's not, yeah, she's not listed in the credits, but I think I've seen her in the credits somewhere else. Which is weird. <laughs> so that's, she's presumably providing some of the harmonies on this. Um, you get a lot of strings on this one, too, in sort of the back. Yeah, creating that... I mean, it's it's that wall of sound kind of thing. Yeah, that wall of sound, some layering. Like a lot of them. Um, you get a little breakdown in here. Try but to do. Yeah, I mean, to, the... to summarize this one, it's longer and slower. Yeah, and it, it's longer and it slower. Works. Um, it really felt at this point like they're they're just going to make like more lethargic versions of these songs, which oh yeah, some of, a lot of them are. Yeah, and with a lot of the topics being about heroin, like it's a pretty safe move. This yeah, one being true. an exclusion to that, but yeah, yeah, I don't know what the thematic um, purpose of slowing it down is necessarily, but mm-hmm. but no, it it just kind of floats on floats on by. Like it it's not too long, like mm-hmm. I said before, and it sounds sounds nice. Yeah, just a good little. Easy listen. Kind of like the original, which isn't like totally easy listening, but that's kind of what I compared it to before. Yeah, it's uh yeah, it's just like good soft vibes. But even then, like the original has like a bit of drive under it. There's a bit of that tambourine keeping it going. Like it has a uh, a bit more movement, whereas this yeah. one's slowed right down. And it's I mean it's straight up like faster. Yeah. Like a lot. <laughs> By a lot, that's fair. This one's um, like it's like twice as not not quite twice as long but it's added on two minutes yeah two two and a half minute song so yeah that's uh it's broken the entertainer rule and still does okay despite that fact we're gonna talk about venus and furs alex shiny shiny 
after a novella by a german guy yes um i didn't write his name down but he's the his name is where we get the word masochism from ah by leopold von soccer masoch i'm probably saying that wrong but it's s-a-c-h-e-r dash m-a-s-o-c-h yeah i don't i had the page up here it is yeah yeah, that sounds fine. He's he's Austrian. His name's Leopold, as you might expect yeah, from yeah, an Austrian yeah. guy. In what was it, 1869, 1870? Yeah. So almost a hundred years later, this song, which I I knew that it like referenced it, but it's like pretty much just like it's very explicit. In fact, yeah, some of the words that I didn't recognize listening to it are just names of characters from Car- the novella. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like Severin. Yes, Severin, um, which I always thought he said severance. It sounded like right. a chant of, like, severance, severance. Which is yeah, because that, that could very well yeah. be something in this, yeah. right? Um, uh, yeah, so worth noting, just to summarize the novella, it's about a dude who's, like, horny to get dominated, and then some dude... Uh, actually, no, he's horny to talk to Venus, the, the goddess Venus, about love while she wears first. That's where the title comes from. And then I believe this guy, who might be Severin, it's like, here, let me read you this book. And it's basically about his time getting dominated by a woman. And then in the end, that woman gets dominated by another dude, which leads Seven to realize that women ain't shit. It's like the oh. final realization. And that's Venus and Furs. Interesting. Yeah, and it's pretty, I mean, for 1870, pretty racy. That's pretty spicy stuff. Yeah. It's pretty spi- this was pretty spicy for True. 1967, still too. still spicy so. 100 years later, so. But, yeah, it, it, like, describes, like, stuff. And there's a lot of, I guess, like, imagery, the sort of evocative imagery. They talk about whips and Yeah, whips, and boots of leather. Boots. So, shiny, it says shiny boots of leather a couple times. Later on, they kiss the shiny boots of leather. Say tongue of thongs, which I believe refers to... A whip again. Yeah. Or a belt, I imagine maybe. that would be right. And, yeah, belt target, does strike, away, yeah. strike, dear mistress, and cure his heart. Which the um, annotation suggests is sort of this um, almost oxymoronic or ironic statement of like hitting someone to make them love you. Right. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, this is basically just a BDSM imagery. Um, yeah. With the, the bridge where he says, I'm tired, I'm weird, I could sleep for a thousand years, a thousand dreams that would awake me. Different colors, made of tears. Yeah, I don't know Which what the like, colors I, I made about of tears means. Horniness? But... Somebody has suggested it's about a sexual awakening, and so a thousand dreams that would awake him are oh, yeah. wasted, wasted bone up and bust nuts. Yeah, this one's about sex, baby. It is. It is specifically BDSM themed, mm-hmm. themed sexual encounters. Encounter, at least. 
Yeah. A relationship, I suppose, that might not just be one encounter. Yeah. So. This one, real spooky vibes on the instrumentals. Yeah, it gets, we, we get pretty discordant here. Yeah. Um. But like in a weird way, I don't know exactly how you, it all, it's, it sounds kind of like a, like a hurdy-gurdy. In the way, in the way the chords are made. Yeah. So hurdy-gurdy is kind of weird. I don't know exactly what sort of chords, like it's, it plays multiple strings and it often sounds very harsh, but you like turn this crank and then like press buttons to play chords on these strings. But it can sound very harsh and it gives some like of folk music quite a harsh sound. Mm. Which, um... I guess I'm I'm just going to jump around a bit. Does come up in the cover with some of the harmonies. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you know what? I'm hearing this. I'm listening to this hurdy-gurdy demo. Yeah, I can hear it. I can hear how that could be that. Yeah, because, like, you kind of turn the crank on it, and it sort of starts up. But once you get going, it's really, like, droning. Yeah. So this one kind of creates that drone sound, even though it's changing. But it's... It, yeah. It's the like, way the... Yeah, it's like... Maybe just a very aggressively played like viola or violin. Yeah, because it would be it, John Cale. Yeah, like. which would be John Cale. So this is where we start to get into some of the more John Cale-y stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is always welcome. Uh, but it it sounds like a like it's looped because it's really short part mm-hmm. on that just and it like it yeah. So I don't know if he would. I mean, maybe live, but like in this recording, I don't know if he played the whole time, right? Or if he just pretty set consistent up the loop. Yeah, you're right, and that is yeah, that's like the the big centerpiece of this one is that sets up a lot of the the unsettling sort of dark vibe, and then like supporting that, you have some really deep drums, yeah. doom, boom, doom, doom, very primal, and then uh, there's uh, a guitar yeah. too, doing some strumming. Yeah, it's sort of lowering that that bam 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 bam, and then like there's also some bass present. There is, yeah, probably probably um, reluctant bass. If the other song, yeah, I believe so. There's one where he refused to play bass. I can't remember if it was this one or another one. I think that was later. That was like that was like Black Angel's death song or something. Yeah, I think you're right. I think. Um, yeah, and honestly, so we set up, like you, you said already, the that hurdy-gurdy-ish or aggressive viola part is sort of like a drone. The rest of the song kind of serves as a, a drone rhythmically as we get the almost religious sounding, like you mentioned earlier, you thought it was a chant. Yeah, it sounds earlier. like a chant. Especially, and then like, the way he enunciates too kind of evokes that. Like, going back a long, long way, um when we discuss Once in a Lifetime and how that mm-hmm. song evokes like a sermon, this right. song evokes like this, like, like a pagan ritual. A hundred percent. So kind of Yeah, I agree. Maybe. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, or at least, you know, like the Hollywood version of that, but still where they're just like chanting and like scattering rose petals or whatever. And every, there's a bunch of candles, which is aesthetically related to um like bdsm culture yeah right 
leather, like dark things, and in my experience, yeah, it's it's yeah, it's a pretty a pretty easy line to draw. I think. I yeah. think you're you're on the money there. So cool take and a cool sound, but it's also like it's got a pretty hard edge. So it's uh. Mm-hmm. And we do get a, a couple of points here where uh, the the instrumentals get to start going off the rails here. This is where things start to become John Cale's realm. We get a guitar solo that kind of takes us out, as well as around the 250 mark, there's the, uh, the like, viola segment. Or that's the end of it, like, around 240. <laughs> yeah, where it kind of... Yeah, there's like some solos that are like the solos in this album mm-hmm. don't really follow the like a typical solo the typical, structure. Yeah, they they don't sound like what you would expect. Like they're like, let's go really high and make it not ring out like like low sustain high guitar playing, just going. And it's like that's not what you'd expect from a rock and roll, a modern rock and roll solo at all. Yeah. But that's what they everything do you'd here, expect from more a bad that... musician. Yeah, exactly. Like, done, done expertly. <laughs> yeah, but like they planned it that that way. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, there's a lot of screeching in this, and or like it's very aggressive sounding string playing. Yeah. So yeah, that that the viola is played to like attack you. Yeah. And then the guitar at the end is just played rapidly. Yeah, he's just like doing the the Rotel Dorado like strumming. Yeah, one hundred percent. That's it. Yeah, or something. And that's anyway. that's really what makes up this song, yeah. which is. Uh... Like, looking at what we've covered so far, almost every following track on the album is like a sharp left turn from what came before it. Yeah, actually (laughs) taking this album and going step by step is very interesting. Yeah, it's a wild ride. Especially considering I already knew it pretty well. I know, right? I'm very familiar with this album. Then just like sitting and listening with it, I was like, holy shit. Like, it's it's unreal in a lot of ways. Um, let's talk about this cover though, which I'm very excited to talk about. Yes. It features yes. Andrew Bird. Andrew Bird. And, I know you're a big and, fan and of Andrew Bird. Big fan. Saw him live. And speaking of people who are good at doing loops live, this dude's a, an absolute maniac when it comes to loops. It's crazy. Looping, eh? Yeah. And it's seamless. Like it's because I've, we've been, I think you and I have even been to concerts where the opening act has like had to set up their loop and they're like, nope, hang on. Hang on. I say, oh, sorry, guys, I just got to get this loop just right. And meanwhile, Andrew Bird is doing it mid-song, and you don't even notice until it's looped it like three times. Uh, I it's just crazy. watched. I just watched a video, and there was a guy who was like looping. He was like, "I always set the loop on the set. Like I always play it once and then loop it on the second one." I was like, "Ah, that's a good idea." So you you already kind of in. You don't right. have to loop out out of nothing. Like you just have to. Right. Put, you set it up the, yourself, and then hit you the go, button. Okay, yeah. I'm gonna do that again. Then hit the loop. And then that if you fuck sense. it up, you can like play a third time, and it won't matter. Yeah. Anyway, um, that's, a, that's a musician pro tip. Yeah, uh, not directly from me, but 
but uh but but from a pro I, I which is probably better i'm yeah. gonna say probably yeah <laughs> no offense to you alex <laughs> are you saying my advice isn't as good as a professional musician <laughs> so yeah uh, andrew bird andrew is bird. a I'm, I'm just moving right past yeah. that exit andrew bird is american indie rock multi-instrumentalist uh part of squirrel nut zippers for a bit used to do a lot of jazz now he does this sort of like indie rock um, which is like a loose indie rock folk kind of thing. Uh, yeah. Like an incredibly proficient. A lot of strings, right? A lot of strings. Yeah. yeah. He'll he'll take a violin, he'll pluck it, and he'll bow it. He'll give a good goddamn. <laughs> uh, also featured in this track, a group called Lucius, mm-hmm. uh, which is two vocalists, Jess Wolf and Holly uh, Lasig. I'm gonna say it. Maybe like Lessig yeah. or something. It's an A E, so I never. Also, honestly. It might be Leesig if it's anything like Demon or Encyclopedia. Oh, yeah. You might be right there. Um, um, yeah. But anyway, I don't know is the point. Uh, but yes, they... They were a duo. Sorry. They used to yes. be a, a foro, a quattro, as it were. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, all that, all that is true. <laughs> <laughs> it's, they used to be a four-piece indie pop band, but I guess they, they've sort of downsized since then. Okay. And... Now it's it seems to be just be these two. That's what I've grasped. Maybe they have a rotating band they go through, but this is them. Um, when I first saw Andrew Bird on this album, I was like, "What is gonna happen here?" I was like, "This is." <laughs> I was surprised. Like, this is not gonna be good. But this is such a like easy fit. Like the like John really... Cale string kind of dissonance. Yeah, and with a song that has like an ancient evil vibe to it already to to yeah. put Andrew Bird on who can do this sort of like older style sounding music. It's like it's a, it's a good fit. fit. It's a yeah. good fit. Um and he definitely brings that. Like there there's a guitar, I guess, strumming, but it might not be a guitar. It definitely it's very like high and tight sounding, which I yeah. generally would associate more with a mandolin. So it might be that. That but I'm not totally it. sure. Uh, but it's something strumming, and and that kind of plays throughout, which has a little more of a folky feeling, at least in sort of our our modern take of it. I don't know how old the instrument actually is, though. Um, yeah, yeah. This is one of those ones where I don't know if they could have made this hundreds of years ago. Yeah, but it sounds like it could. Yeah, have been. at least yeah to us. Um, yeah. The other part of that I think is the vocal harmonies. So. Mm-hmm. The way this song is structured and the way um, and what they use is it's two verses followed by what Genius calls a bridge, but I don't know why it's not a chorus because it's yeah. comes again. Anyway, so they do groups of two verses. So in this cover, Andrew Bird sings a verse and then Lucius sings a verse at and they harmonize because there's two of them, mm-hmm. and then they all three of them come together on the, bri- the what I'm going to call the chorus now. The chorus, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm it's weird, a chorus, yeah. um, and and then that kind of repeats because there's five verses or four verses. That's right. Um, so, but the the harmonies are interesting, and I don't mm-hmm. know. Exa- I don't know exactly what it is, but what it reminds me of. A few months ago, there was a video on TikTok, which I don't actually use TikTok, but it kind of filtered through to me uh, via YouTube, um, of someone harmonizing someone else's singing in fifths, which has a really, in that sort of classical style, has a very odd sound. Uh, I know there's a lot of 
there are like several genres that say, as a rule, big air quotes around rule, don't harmonize in fifths. Um, mm-hmm. Which is like that's what a power chord is. So rock and roll does it all the time. Like right, it's a fifth, but it it sounds very harsh if you start to do these fifth harmonies. And mm-hmm. and it kind of reminds me of this. I don't know if it's the same thing though. Right, but it definitely has like a like an almost eeriness to it. Yeah, I mean, sort of the whole thing does that, but those vocals again, do play a large part in that. Yeah, in the last we talked about the pagan ritual. This one mm-hmm. is outdoors. Yeah, in the in the fall, but it's still a pagan ritual. It's still pagan, very much so. There's antlers now, though, instead of like candles. <laughs> yes, a hundred percent. No, I, I guess I, I guess I'm though. a very visual person. <laughs> I, I, that read very clearly to me as well uh, yeah. for some reason. I was like, yeah, this is outdoors. I'm, maybe because I'm picturing Lucius as too spooky, like forest spirits or something, but like it all plays into it. I mean, I that's that's the, the musical aesthetic that's going on here, really. Yeah. Now, talking about loops, I believe he does set up a violin loop for that. Dun, 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 that would that would make sense. Which is a loop, and hey, we yeah. talked about those before. We did. So that's interesting. Um, there's a lot of like, uh, just kind of like frantic plucking he does between certain like blocks. So yes, which like, we kind of did, like we just said the way the solos work in this album mm-hmm. a lot. That. It's really what they're emulating. Yeah, and, and it's be- also not foreign from his own style. So it's oh. it was interesting for me to see how much of a, a fit that is. That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm sure... I mean, the Velvet Underground is known as being extremely influential. I'm sure yeah. anyone who agreed to this album was like, yeah, I've heard of them. And <laughs> Yeah, can you imagine being like, not a big fan, but yeah, sure. Like, I'll Velvet Underground, <laughs> who are those guys? Sure, I'll be part of the album. How hard can it be? Oh, gonna be what's this song? Venus in furs. Yeah, yeah, sure. I'll give it a go. Okay, planet. Yeah, animals on a planet. Animal planet. (laughs) This is the animal planet. planet. I love animal planet. (laughs) Get me in on this. Um, yes, gets a little more screechy, kind of as it goes. Um, this one, uh, like you, like they set up that loop, but this one Mm -hmm. does less of the like cacophonous background that a lot of them do. Yeah, it's a little more steady. Yeah. Um, and then it really is sort of like that. that loop, and then just like a yeah. little bit of auxiliary plucking around at this. Dun, 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 yeah. Dun, dun, Although dun. later on, that plucking or strumming, I guess, mm-hmm. kind of it sounds like they're amplifying and they're turning it up a bit on the like, um, oh, what's that? I I mean volume, in kind of like the input gain. Yeah. And yeah, then yeah. it like just kind of starts to break up a bit, so you're getting like a little bit of. Uh, distortion or maybe not distortion maybe it's more of like a an overdrive situation but just a little bit and it's oh, yeah. also it's a little weird because it's it's more of that kind of like tight mandolin sound mm-hmm. whether or not it's a mandolin i'm not totally sure but yeah so this this one's cool yeah very cool one um yeah really also and... longer also like not quite but close to two minutes longer yeah. Um, maybe I think also it's slower. But also yeah, they have some like sure. at the end after the they do the final verse. Um they just kind of like hum some the harmon oh that's on the final verse. 
Oh, yeah, because there is a fifth some, verse in this after violin. the chorus. I forgot about that. There are five verses in this. Yeah. And then he does it. It's it's um, Andrew Bird, but he has harmonies now. Yeah. Just a just a good take mm. on this one. I don't have much else to say because yeah. I, I like this one, obviously. Well, it just it creates that aesthetic really well. Mm-hmm. It's very evocative of, of a very specific image. Yeah. To me. Anyway. And has has some clear Velvet Underground influences while sounding completely different as well. So like, I think that's pretty good. Let's talk about Run, Run, Run. Teenage Bear said to Uncle Dave, I saw my soul, must be saved. Gonna take a walk down Union Square. You never know where you're gonna find there. You gotta run, 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 run. Take a drag to run, 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 run. Tip the day and what you do. Gotta run, 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 run. Yes, take let's talk about Raggle run, run, run. 2. I always take thought it was Tick the Dagger 2 for some yeah, reason. I, this is one of the ones where I like I was always not sure about, but didn't want to look up mm-hmm. for some reason, because I was like, it, it works fine. I always thought it was like, take a jacket 2. Like, take a jacket 2. You, go, you going outside? You going outside? Take a jacket. <laughs> I was pretty sure that's not what it was. Um, and it's not. Take but a jacket it's take too. a drag or two, like on, on, your, on your cigarette. On your cigarette, yeah. So this is basically just like a, a song about, what is it, like four different people who get All a lethal dose of drugs? Seem to have heroin issues. Not heroin necessarily heroin. cocaine. Oh, that's true. That's true. Uh, golden. Golden nose. Golden nose. Seasick Sarah. And she's seasick. Had a golden oh, maybe, nose. I don't know. Yeah, also, hobnail Sarah. boots. Hobnail boots. Final, that, the word... Hobnail boots get brought up. It's just a type of boots. They have like nails in the soles, so I guess they're very um, durable because of the nails, and also they seem to have like better traction. Mm-hmm. And apparently, they're not very expensive. Um, yeah. So the reason that that line always sticks out to me is they, um, "Happiness is a warm gun" by the Beatles also mm. mentions hobnail boots, and I didn't. I haven't looked it up until now, so now I know what those are. There you go, hobnail boots. It's, I mean, how do you... Hmm, they got to be like short nails or something, right? Otherwise yeah, there's kind of like studs sticking out the bottom. Yeah, 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 yeah. I see that here. I don't really know how um, Yeah, so this exactly. one's about... You got Teenage Mary in the first verse who uh, goes to Union Square to presumably buy drugs, even though yeah. she seems to acknowledge that she shouldn't be doing drugs. But she can't stop. Yeah. You got Marguerite um, Passion, who wasn't doing well. Um, I think she's suffering from withdrawals, right? And then... She's getting sick, yeah. Yeah. Went to sell her soul, but uh, didn't know. I think she could buy yeah, it. Yeah, I think she could buy it. She wasn't high. Maybe I think her soul she's, back? She, right, thinks she could buy her soul back. That makes sense. Um, then C6 era got too high, and... She, she turned blue, so she you know, died. And all the angels yeah. were like, oh, God. <laughs> like, <laughs> what do we do with this? That one. <laughs> yeah, oh, like, no. what do we, uh. And then you got Beardless Harry, who uh, just rides down to, to fucking basically kill himself. He figured he was good to get himself to heaven. He can't, 
get a he says he couldn't get a small town taste so he is he unable to access his drugs is he can he not get maybe. it so no one maybe he doesn't have money and then of course the chorus run 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 run, run take a drag or two uh the probably notable line is gypsy death and you which uh of course is not a phrase that um i've ever heard used but apparently does refer to overdosing gypsy death. yeah gypsy death that's yeah i was unfamiliar with that until this week and so that's yeah kind of the the song it's about uh a drug users in new york <laughs> similar to i'm waiting for the man but uh yeah. this one seems to be about them ones who are right on the cusp of death or in the throes of it indeed yeah so again i never got that out of the song because <laughs> i didn't know what the words were yeah, I got that there was a sense of danger and being on the run. Because you got to run, yeah. Yeah. And I thought you had to take a dagger with you as well, so... I... To protect yourself, right? <laughs> yeah. And gypsy death in you, I thought, was, like, you know, like, it's, like, death's right behind you or right with you, but you, you got to keep moving or something. I, yeah, completely misinterpreted this one, basically. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Honestly, I don't even know what I thought this song was. I just kind of like the sound of it. Yeah, in a way, because the sound of it is another driving rhythm piece. Kind of similar to Roadhouse Blues. So we got a real blues oh, vibe yeah. on this one. Yeah, it was just that riff, but mm-hmm. a little faster and higher. Yeah. And this one has mm-hmm. a lot of that bling, like fast plucking. Yeah, we're getting more of that noodling guitar in, which is going to be sort of a staple for the, the songs here on out. Mm-hmm. Or it's mm-hmm. playing around the rhythm section there. Yeah, and some like really intense feedback too. We start to get on this guy on this one. Yeah. Um, which we see more, but like this is really where it comes in. Really, just screeching feedback. Screeching feedback and a, a sort of a shouting performance from uh from Lou Reed, Tina's Mary, and then you get a, a guitar lick after each one of those little shouted chunks. Said Uncle Dave, I must be saved. Yeah, when you describe it, it's um, it sounds like the blues. You know, it does, say really. a line, do a guitar lick, but it doesn't really sound like the the blues that much. At least not our sort of modern version of of that. Like our modern idea of the blues. Well, yeah, because the blues tends to relish in those guitar licks between lines, yeah. whereas this is like. <laughs> like gonna get that out and get to the next line it's uh you know it's it's a little frantic and it's in definitely its frantic which is kind of part of the like the run 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 thing right there's a lot yeah. of frantic sounds in this for sure and we do get one of these like sort of thin screeching guitar solos that you you talked about earlier yeah. really fast lots of fast picking and strumming yeah and while there is like a backing track with it like the rhythm section is still going it doesn't necessarily play into that, particularly around like the 150 mark. It's like, <laughs> like it is just that like scratching of notes that you'd expect from an amateur musician. <laughs> right, right. But he's managing to not. No, oh, yeah, it's it's. Uh... But I will say it is undeniably music and cool and sounds good to me. Yes, somehow I don't fully know how. But it does manage to do that. Yeah. I don't know if it's just, like, because 
he's, like the chops are already demonstrated in the solo. Like you can tell they can play well. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like an establishment of trust. And he's like, I'm going to do this weird shit for a bit. And you just got to hang on. Like, <laughs> and trust me that it's good. And so that me, I, I, I trust. And I go like, yeah, this is, we're doing something here. Yeah. And I say, yeah, all right. And then I do. And I do. And it's, it is, yeah, all right. Now, on the other hand, mm-hmm. there's the cover. There's the cover by Kurt Vile. Kurt Vile. Spotify calls him indie rock. Uh, yeah, this is a little like country rock. to me, like this version. He's got some bluegrass in his background. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought this one didn't need the extra two and a half minutes. I think you may be right there, Alex. Uh, I think it is. There is a radio edit version that's just that's even short. That's shorter than the original. I, I didn't right. really listen to it though. Um, yeah, nor but yeah, did I. Seven minute version. I thought that was a bit much. Um, it does something. It's very similar to the original in that it kind of sets up the rhythm and it just goes on it. It's more of like a boogie though. Yeah. It's kind of got that like rock and roll boogie thing going on. Yeah, and you're right. There is a little bit of country vibe in there. Yeah. Now, I have recently been getting into Kurt Vile. And okay. the album I know of his is, let me see, I'm going to pull it up here. Because it, it's very different from this as well. Uh, Waking on a Pretty Days is the one I know by him. And that's, okay. I, I would encourage you to listen to it because I think it's a great album. But yeah, it's, it's it a different vibe from this. I think he wins the award for safest cover. Because I don't think this, yeah. like, even, even Waiting for the Man, which wasn't wildly different, still tried to put a different, like, tone on it. Whereas this is this is basically your closest to an update track. This is uh you know, it's run run run, but like a little extra country vibe in there, maybe. Yeah, and I mean it doesn't really have that hectic feeling of the original. No, it really in leans into way. that like polished rock vibe. Like even yeah. that opening on the drums, that boom boom. Like yeah. that's that's and a it, staple. It really roll. leads into the boogie, and I think that's why it's so long, because it like really lets that like for dancing purposes or whatever mm-hmm. kind of thing. You can kind of bar boogie or whatever, which is like yeah. fine. Ah, it didn't, it didn't really hit for me as, as well as some of the previous car. I didn't think it was as interesting, but yeah, it is. Yeah. It is very close. It is very close. And I think he and, and is safe. like a pretty close acolyte of velvet underground. I think if you go listen to waking on a pretty days and like, listen to him sing, you're going to go, Oh Yeah. This dude right. loves the Velvet Underground from way back. Yeah, and, and like a, I get it, I do too. I, yeah, I get I it. Just, I get it. I yeah. too. But I think when your music musical style is that close, like you're not as many degrees removed as some of these other artists, the amount of spin you can put on it without just sounding like you're a big Velvet Underground fan is a little limited. Yeah, and and ultimately, I I didn't think this cover was that interesting. No, I think well. I agree with you as well, especially because this one, with its crazy guitar soul, gives you the opportunity just to, to flat out basically do to whatever do you want something. for a minute. To, yeah, for at least a minute of this song, you can fuck around. And like and they do really a bit of fucking around. It. Like There's some kind of synthy stuff and some other ambient noises, 
And there's like that stuttery, I don't know how they do it. They're like, vum, 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 kind of sounds like they're adjusting yeah. maybe the volume on the guitar. There, and there are some good effects on this one. Yeah. Like it's smartly put together, but it is not boldly put but, together. Yeah. Ultimately, I, I kind of like there's like a two minute section where it's mostly just that like boogie. So it was just kind of, yeah, uh, not super interesting to me. Mm-hmm. And that's that's unfortunate because I like I like coming into this. I saw Kurt Bile's name. I was like, oh, cool. I, I I really do like his stuff, and this seems like it would be a good fit. And the answer is yes, it is a good fit. But that doesn't. It's too, it's too, good it. it's too good a fit. It's too good a fit. It's it fits too well. Um, which is unfortunate. But hey, it's it's still it's like it's still solidly built. Where it, it's always weird when we talk about these sort of like Goliath <laughs> compilations and have to call one shit because it's really. <laughs> <laughs> like not shit yeah. but it's not it's, it's not a standout by any it's means fine. it's fine it's fine let's talk about all tomorrow's parties though. all tomorrow's parties Hand me down dress from who knows where. Hand me down dress from who knows where. All tomorrow's parties. And where? Saint Vincent. I've done yes. a bit of. I've listened to a little bit of Saint Vincent. They came yeah, up with like think... Discover Weekly not too long ago. Mm-hmm. They just came up with. Yeah. I don't know their songs by name, but I'll, no. I listened to one of their albums. It was pretty good. Yeah, yeah. No, it's a, um, I want to be clear. Saint Vincent is the person, right? I mean, um, obviously she's not remember. a saint, but I think she she's Alice Coopered, right? Uh, I actually don't know. Oh yeah. Um. Yeah. yeah. No okay. Yeah. Saint Vincent. She because she, she began her music career as a member of the Polyphonic Spree, which is a name I've heard but know nothing about, and so. she was a me- member of Sufjan Stevens' touring band before going solo with her own band, which I guess is probably also called Saint Vincent, in yeah. two thousand six. Yeah. But we're a little bit ahead of ourselves because we do need to talk about the original first. We do. We do. Getting a little too excited. But I'm glad you're excited because uh, <laughs> I, th- I think this is a very fun version we're going to talk about. The Rolling Stone review didn't seem to think this one was worth all that much. I think it's great. We're going to talk about this. According to Lou Reed, the song All Tomorrow's Parties is, quote, a very apt description of certain people at the factory at the time. I watched Andy. I watched Andy watching everybody. I would hear people say the most astonishing things, the craziest things, the funniest things, the saddest things. Um, and then John Cale expands on that in an interview where he says the song is, quote, about a girl called Daryl, a beautiful petite blonde with three kids, two of whom were taken away from her. And this is uh, Warhol's favorite song by the Velvet Underground, apparently. All Tomorrow's Parties. Yeah, it's, uh, it's another Nico sung song. That's right. And it's, it's, a, it's sad. It's a sad song. It's, it's all about... I mean, it starts with what costume shall the poor girl wear, right? Like, she's going to these parties, but she's not herself. Like, she has to put on a face. Yeah, and she Four can't really af- afford to keep up with yeah. these lifestyles. All tomorrow's parties, and she's a poor girl. So she's definitely trying to be something she is not. Mm-hmm. She's trying to appear affluent and... And she just looks like a clown. Yeah. Perhaps. In she's trying to be part cases. of the scene, and she, she, she can't. I mean, she's being observed, right? 
Like mm-hmm. she's not the narrator. She's being talked about. The person says, look at her. We can all see. Like it's just yeah. a costume, one. And two, like it's it's all yesterday's gowns, you know? She's not wearing the latest thing. She's she's wearing apparently Thursday's rags. I don't really know what that means. Um, I, People seem to think it relates to this child's... Now, later she says Thursday's child, which I looked yeah. up the the um, the rhyme, mostly because there's a David Bowie song called Thursday's Child as well. Yeah. Um, but the, the rhyme goes, Monday's child is fair of face, Tuesday's child is full of grace, Wednesday's child is full of woe, Thursday's child has far to go, Friday's child is loving and giving, Saturday's child works hard for a living, and the child born on the Sabbath day is Bonnie, Blythe, Good, and Gay. Um, so I guess that's the idea is when a child, what day of the week a child is born on. Um, pretty sure I was born on a Wednesday, so I don't know. Oh, nice. I was uh, born on a Friday, so all around. <laughs> I guess Wednesday's a bad deal, right? Full of woe. Full of woe. Uh, she doesn't seem 100% accurate. But anyway, yeah. Has far to go, so I think that's the implication, at least later there. Yeah, I'm also wondering if, if the party week holds a, a schedule slightly different to the work week. So if it, it begins on Thursday, goes through to Sunday, and then thursday's rags she's probably in i mean she's got hand-me-down dress how many does she have right maybe just the one so thursday's rags because they've been worn out to fucking three different parties at least or at least three or four days of different right she's not changing because she's not affluent or whatever but yeah Yeah. that's really the idea of the song is she is trying to fit in with this society she maybe doesn't 100 percent fit in with or at least isn't completely accepted in because she's not able to afford some of the things that are expected of her yeah, and she'll turn once more to Sunday's clown and cry behind the door. So she is, she yeah. is suffering, and she is aware, and she really wants to fit in, but she doesn't. Again, basically, she'll die unmourned is what it comes down to in the third verse. Yeah, so that's pretty sad. It's a sad song. It's a sad. It song. is a very sad song. Um, and it was one of the singles they released, the A-side, where the B-side was I'll Be Your Mirror. So, hmm. hey. Let's talk about how this song sounds, though. It sounds a little like this. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm not going to do that. That's, yeah, it, it's another one where they really set up that, that rhythm. And in this one, it's fast piano chords. Mm-hmm. really throughout to the point where yeah that kind of i it it's it sort of melds together into this like chimey sound space even though it's piano mm-hmm. i don't know how to describe it exactly but yeah it's a, oh is this the one where they used a prepared piano i don't know um, so they, ah, uh, yes, first pop song to use a prepared piano. So this is a piano they just put garbage into the piano. Like forks and shit? I just like threw stuff into it so it sounds weird? Yeah, to alter the sound of it. Huh. So you can find pictures of them, I think, if you look up pre- prepared piano. But that might be what's accounting for that sound there. Oh, placing bolts, screws, mutes, forever razors, and other objects between the strings. John Cage's dance. Cool. It's so like some notes are just weird. Mm-hmm. Huh. Yeah. So like it, it sets that up. And there's some of that thin guitar 
playing and soloing and fast drumming and stuff as well. And then Nico's deadpan delivery on the lyrics. That's right. Yeah, that really is what makes up this track, isn't it? Yeah. Um, perfect. Let's talk about St. Vincent then. <laughs> yeah. And Thomas Bartlett is also uh, on this track. He is, I don't know if he produced this, but he does production work. He's also a pianist. Also known as Dove Man. Oh, yeah, Dove Man. <laughs> Which is yeah. exciting. Yeah, pianist, producer. So he's done production um, work for yeah. St. Vincent before. Um, uh, but what, what they've done with this one is they have changed it pretty significantly. They don't have that rhythm on the piano or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, they do have some piano, but it's all ambient stuff and ambient <laughs> strings ambient piano and then all the vocals are spoken word but in like various styles yeah and sometimes echoed by like a yeah. like a robot or vocoder style vocals, yeah so like sometimes those are the leading ones there's a couple normal ones there's like a really filtered one that comes in mostly in your right ear and then a less filtered still mostly normal in your left ear and then these really digitized voices um that are often yeah they often repeat uh, and then a whisper sometimes. So uh, all the lines are said in one of these ways, and then sometimes they layer them, so there's more than one at a time, but it kind of changes around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very... Uh, sorry, you know what, Alex? I didn't listen to a single word you just said. I had zoned out for a second there. <laughs> I was just talking about how the how the vocals work. Um, okay. How yeah, they sort yeah, of yeah, yeah. different styles of spoken word that that are used in different parts and sometimes at the same time. Right. Yeah. And then there'll be anything from a, like a robot to a, a whisper or something yeah. right behind the door. Mm-hmm. Yes. This is a, what a, but when this one came up, like in casual listening, I had to check to make sure I was still <laughs> like on the right thing. I was like, what the fuck? What, what is this? Um, yeah, completely bizarre. Um, it reminds me, the vocals kind of remind me, I don't know how familiar you are with the track, the Velvet Underground track, the, A Murder Mystery. I don't know. I believe it. is the name of it. It's off of, it's off of the Velvet Underground, but not the Velvet Underground in Nico. Right. And it involves, uh, why it reminds me of that is it involves two people, uh, talking typically over each other. And one of them is speaking in a very swift fashion. And the other is this sort of low droning voice. If you go to the song The Murder Mystery by the Velvet Underground and, and switch to the minute mark, you'll hear what I'm kind of talking about there. Um, great song too. It's just that guitar pattern it's got in there alone is pretty killer. But that's what it reminded me of here. Now, of course, with the St. Vincent version, we don't get this uh, this very exciting guitar or indeed any sort of driving rhythm. We get this ambient piano and then eventually jazz. Yeah, it it's interesting. There's three verses in the song and they've really <laughs> broken it up into three sections. So right. they, they, they start with that really ambient stuff. Uh, those voices are talking, the piano is playing really sparsely. And then, yeah, for the second verse, it like fades into this like lounge jazz thing. Um, yeah. and then suddenly like the piano is doing this, yeah, like jazzy part and that goes for a little while. And then the vocals still play their other styles. And then eventually the bat, like that stops and they kind of go into a drone. It's almost like on your own. Now we're in the party. Now I'm on my own again thing where it's like this really like desolate sound book ending 
just like this loungy jazz that's kind of pleasant yeah yeah pleasant but since it's been set up on all this eeriness before it it is like disconcerting yeah yeah exactly <laughs> you're like what is happening like, yeah where did like it's 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 weird in context because yeah where did it come from and then of course later on they kind of have a drone so my thought was like okay so we're not at a party we're at a party and then we have like a hangover or something right this is yeah this is pre mid and post a party yeah yeah and this very like gentle piano too that comes in we move from jazz to just like like end of a movie kind of like with that drone up top and then this yeah really like spacey the way i said the three verses were sparse than jazzy than spacey and droning yeah i would say that's a fair take that was my descriptors i used i think my one like complaint is that the the spacey section lasts a little too long i feel like you could have kept it at the end and then maybe squeezed in a different section but maybe i'm trying to be oh right because they do really get get into that piano stuff for a while and it plays like twinkly upper octave stuff yeah because i think it would have made a great ending just this piano being like weirdly gentle after we've gone through this strange musical journey but i think we almost need a coarser section before it's something a little rough maybe yeah i i mean i kind of liked it again it it has a a pleasantness to it even though it kind of has an eeriness to it as well yeah Uh, if you like kind of like that ambient stuff so when i was listening to it i just kind of let it sort of float by like i've said about other versions as well sure yeah overall i think this is a, a very cool version yeah so i i thought it sounded really cool and just because I want more out of it, I mean, that's, again, that's like a good yeah. complaint, right? It's not the but, worst. But, yeah, not the worst. And it is actually shorter than the original by a minute. Interestingly enough. Interestingly enough. So it is a so weird little journey. How slow it feels relative yeah. to the original. Yeah. Yeah, Alex. Yeah. All right. I don't know how this is going to sound in the cut, but we took a short break to discuss and... We've just finished talking about All Tomorrow's Parties, which puts us at roughly the halfway point of an 11-song album. So, you know, we're halfway there. We have five tracks left. We don't want this episode to run for three to four hours because we've done that before and nobody listens. <laughs> so we're going to cut it here, um, and we're going to continue to talk about this tribute album next week on Cover Me. That's right. We're doing a two-parter episode, a first in Cover Me history. And that means we're at the end of the episode, folks. Uh, Be sure to rate and review us. We're on Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, your favorite podcasting app. Talk to us on Twitter, hashtag CoverMePod. Let us know what you think about the album so far. Let us know if you've listened to it yourself. Um, And, you know, tell your friends about us. You can email us at CoverMePod at gmail.com. Send us your comments, questions, suggestions for future episodes. Tell us about other tribute albums out there. These are a lot of fun to do. So we'd love to do more of them. And as we always say on CoverMePod, Everyone who listened to Cover Me started a podcast.